Hello everybody, welcome to part two of the conversation with myself and Randy Brown. Obviously, if you haven't already listened to part one, you should, and then you'll get a better idea of, of what it is uh, we're talking about and a better idea of the background. Um, so if you're, I'm assuming you've already done that, so without further ado, I'll hand you back over to myself and Randy. But I also find the true history is a lot more interesting. You know, if we can get I know, to this. isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, and we have this problem where I was doing a ton of, um, a ton of research two, two winters ago on our roots because there's a lot of mystery as to where the style, not where it came from, but who really started it, when it was really started. Um, and the, the, the fact came up or the facts that came up showed, in the 1800s and early 1900s the people that were doing this stuff were incredibly interesting like badasses uh security guards uh, bodyguards security specialists um versus these myths of okay it went back to this this person and you can't even prove that they were alive and then it went to a temple and disappeared in the temple for 200 years and then all of a sudden <laughs> it was spit out again and uh there's a lot of revisionist history in china for reasons of uh respecting ancestors like not taking credit for something yourself and and handing it off to those before you or uh in the case of uh one founder in mantis boxing who were really kind of starts not the myth before it but his origin story is confusing because it exactly matches the origin story of confucius <laughs> so what a coincidence <laughs> oh, um wow and yeah. and uh the history that i was taught and it was just spit out to me for years when i started was it all came from bodhidharma which was yeah. a, a monk from india and it's like no, come on. Um, none of that is is real. And it's interesting to hear that I thought the karate systems and the Japanese systems were better about that, but I guess it's not the case. No, no. For the, for the, probably for similar reasons, I think, as well, that there's a, um, a sense of legitimacy if you can claim that, you know, this thing, this wasn't something we fused together in the late 1800s. This right. was something that's been for thousands of years, you know, this has been practiced. And it tends to be, you see these typical patterns like um, uh, formed by watching some animals fight, you know, it's, it's typical ones. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. Formed by a sick child who eventually became strong. Uh, yeah, founded that's... by a weak person who became strong and then wanted vengeance. You know, all these uh, historical figure. You know, like like Body Dharma is a religious figure as well, so he did it. Right. I always say it was like, be like me as an Englishman saying that, oh yeah, my martial art can be traced back to King Arthur. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's equally ridiculous, but may have some sense of legitimacy <laughs> or, or or romantic appeal rather. You know, it just right, right. It, it just doesn't make uh, make any um, any sense. But people are really tethered to those myths, though. Some oh, people yeah. don't want to give them up. You know. Yes, uh, absolutely. Well, that's part of the resistance of. Of, in my experience, is not just battling the the fact that I want to do something different than what other people are doing with Mantis. It's also, oh, you can't change the history. You can't you can't mess with these myths. That yeah. these are hard and, and hard and true. These are things that we believe, and you 
you have to break those molds in order to advance sometimes. And I think going back to what you said about the, the real history is cooler than the fake. Uh, when you look at the the period of time that a lot of these Chinese boxing arts really evolved, there were horrific things going on that created these styles where millions of people, and I'm not exaggerating, millions of people were dying from famines and droughts and uh, disease and wars and rebellions. And it's these hardships that I personally, I find, I guess it would be, I guess the individual's choice. Do you prefer fiction or nonfiction? Do you mm -hmm. prefer uh, Star Wars or reading about the Apollo program? Uh, it's maybe that that it's as simple as that. But the reality of it is so much more interesting than the, and it even started in the 1930s. And there's documentation of this where they started calling it Arhat boxing, mm. uh, and Arhat was uh, a way of saying Buddha. So a lot of teachers were saying their style came from Buddha because it was marketing. It's like, well, if my style came from Buddha, none of those guys are teaching good stuff. Their, <laughs> their stuff sucks because I got it from the Buddha directly. So then everybody starts saying they got theirs from the Buddha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so same, same, same with karate. Well, it's interesting as well because like you've got um, uh, Itosu, who's one of the more influential um, karate masters, and uh, he wrote his Ten Precepts in 1908, this famous document that um, I paid a fortune to get translated. But but, it, but in that, he said, um, the opening line is, karate did, did not come from Buddhism or Confucianism. It, it just tells the truth, you know. Um, this, 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 it doesn't have uh, religious origins. Yet, however, his students would then repeat these Bodhidharma, however you pronounce it, myths, because exactly that, it can make it seem more legitimate, you know, to to to, to right. people who um, are like. For me, see, I, I'm so I, I mythology is something I, I genuinely have always loved, you know. I mean, yeah, I, I, I like Greek mythology, Norse mythology, Egyptian yep. mythology, all that. I, I find it fascinating. So I, th I think it's still possible to enjoy the mythology. You don't have to give up the stories. You can have the stories. But you right. just need to understand that, yeah, there were stories and this is why they told the stories, you know, and then get back to the, the, the true history. Because I think if you want it to be a functional system, you've got to be able to view it through the right historical lens to understand what it is that you're looking right. at. Correct. Yeah. This, this becomes very true. Uh, there was one, there's one branch of Mantis boxing that it's a real anomaly. Um, and it appeared on the scene in the uh, the turn of the century when the fall of the Qing dynasty and we start getting into the Republican era. And the the history of it, the, the lineage is really sketchy. Um, and it looks very fabricated to give it legitimacy. And I found where it actually intersected because it came from a different style completely. It was attached to Xing Yichuan or Lilhe, uh, Six Harmony was really the founder and the lineage is, is um, ingrained in that six harmony style, that Xingyi style. But then in the early 1900s, they get rebranded as Mantis and they have one form that was never changed, that existed. It was the only form before it got blended with Mantis. Mm. And 
that form was developed by uh, a bodyguard. He was a bodyguard for a family for most of his life. And he taught their kids and that the kids went on and taught this form and it still survives, but mm. you can find evidence in that form of what the origin looked like and what its real intent was yeah, of yeah. self-defense and mm. survival. So it's, it's neat. It's cool. Mm. Um, I think cooler than some of the other histories that you find. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I agree. I think that, um, yeah, the, the truth is generally a lot more more interesting. But if people do like the karate thing, if they if they buy into the myth and this is a way of disarming a, a samurai when you know that they're, they're the cultural oppressors, you're never going to understand it properly. You, you're never going to be able to right. look at what it is and understand that it's true context. So, um, it, it, do you get the thing? Um, so, because the, the history in karate is far from complete. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of unknowns, and particularly the further back you go. So people have a really bad habit of filling the gap. So yeah. the, the, they create a, a story, or oh, maybe this, and then by the power of the internet, in a matter of weeks, it's now repeated back to you as fact. So do, right. you, have, do you obviously have similar things? Do you people modern myths effectively? Um, yes. Uh, I mean, in my, I have to dig back because I've been trying to erase the stuff that was. <laughs> that was fake. Right. So as I was coming up, there were stories that were more recent, but they, there's no truth, necessarily truth to them or, um, it's harder to find, but I think the internet has definitely solidified things in the wrong direction, Mm. uh, at times. However, uh, it's done the opposite in far greater, um, efficacy in my opinion because you have in your neck of the woods down um at cardiff university you have uh dr paul bowman who started a a coat or helped start the martial arts studies group Mm. which are all these people this is a growing field of research in not just chinese martial arts but japanese martial arts korean martial arts brazilian um european and they are all people who are are long lifelong martial artists or fascinated by martial arts, but they're academic scholars as well. Most of them hold PhDs and they're doing due diligence to this historical research. So mm-hmm. we're able to start to put these pieces back together and show, okay, no, this is when I would not know, for example, um, I would not know that tidbit about our hat boxing if it weren't for uh, Dr. Ben Judkins, who's at Cornell University in New York, who has the blog Kung Fu Tea. Mm. Um, and he does, he puts a lot of his research notes up there. He has a few books that he's written, but his, uh, he posted um, a lot of research on uh, a guy who was a news, newspaper journalist in Shanghai in the 1930s, and he was excoriating teachers at the time for making up fake lineages and <laughs> fake myths about their styles to sell, to, to, to get more students. And, uh, I would never know that if it weren't for the work that he was doing. And that if he hadn't published that on the internet, I wouldn't have found it when I was doing my research. So yeah. it's a great thing now because the information sh- uh, gets shared much more readily. 
and much more good. Which, which again, again, that, so there's less of an excuse not to know. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you can, I, I think people just need to fact check a little bit more. And, and by, by, by doing so, the, the, the true history start to come out. But I've seen that, you know, I've seen this, this thing where you get, um, <clears throat> someone will mention something as an hypothesis, then it becomes fact within a matter of weeks. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and and then when and I've I've had things dropped. Oh, it wasn't it this. And when you start digging back, I can't find any evidence to support this claim at all. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so which which again makes the. I mean, for me, the, the, the uh, I'm I, the martial arts history interests me, but only insofar as it helps me to understand what I'm Content. doing now. Right. So right. so uh, you'll see internet arguments where they'll argue about, no, this master didn't die in 1916, it was 1917. I, I don't care. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any difference to yeah. me. Those little, those little historical nuances don't. But if it's got relevance to the way we practice, then then I'm, I'm very much interested. I would... Personally, I have to disagree a little there from just from my experience, not yours... Because for for what trying to do the trying to do the work that I've been doing that that one year difference mattered a lot yeah. because in trying to track down the roots of Mantis, which were very um, ethereal, is maybe a good word for it. Um, in trying to track that down, there are a lot of stories that so-and-so studied with this guy, yeah. and that's where he got his mantis. But then when I compared dates of birth and dates of death, or I looked at, okay, well, that guy didn't even go to that city until he was 65, and you supposedly studied with him. That guy supposedly studied yeah. with him 13 years before that. Um, and I, I get what you're saying. It like The past should inform the present to build context. But also on the other side, and this was why I disagreed only from my experiences, that those dates mattered no. in trying to put the pieces together. Yeah, no, hundred percent. No, in in that way it does. You know, in, if you're trying to work out who trained with who and for how long, you know, because there are, there are things where you realize, oh yeah, you trained with him this particular when he when he was twelve, and he trained yeah. with him for two years. So so right. how much did you learn during that time? So that that, that kind yes. of stuff, you know, exactly. I, yeah. It, yeah, it exactly. can, can can definitely be uh, be useful and uh, inf informative, but but I think it's it's when it becomes uh, his history for history's sake. Have you, have oh, you read yeah. the book um, um, Martial Arts Training? Uh, sorry, Chinese Martial Arts Training Manuals. Yes, I, I was going to just for anyone watching this that, that for, from I have that it's one of my favorite books on the Chinese yep. systems. Brian Kennedy because that's good. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's. I always think it's a it's an awful title. <laughs> it's such a bland title for what <laughs> is otherwise a superb book. You know, it's really um, uh, interesting, and they do a lot of good like academic rigor in there, and a good bit of myth busting in there. So, yes. I would recommend that book to people, no matter which style right. you do, because it's great well, at cutting through all that stuff. One of my coaches uh, in Mantis was friends with Brian Kennedy, and. Uh, and so Brian Kenny passed away, I think, last year, if I recall. It might have been early this year. Um, but Brian, uh, I didn't know him. I never met him. So I could be uh, totally off on this. But my understanding is he had quite a bone to pick with Chinese martial arts. Because like myself, I mean, it sounds, by listening to your story, 
um, you and I have very similar paths and experiences, but it, it sounds like you, we, we were forged a little differently in the regard that you were very much encouraged and, uh, you kind of had a positive reinforcement to do, to expand and, mm -hmm. and grow and figure the things out that you have. And I had a darker experience when, on my end where it was less, uh, encouraged if you will or uh, any difference from your teacher was was scorned or uh, frowned upon often so however um, in in that dark experience there's a lot of bad stuff with Chinese martial arts that mm. like fake fake stories fake myths it's not just the myths of historical figures or lineage it's it's also just this bait and switch of you know, people pretending that they knew how to fight or, or claiming they knew how to fight and you never see them fight. They never taught fighting. They never fought, taught application. It's just forms in Kata mm -hmm. and Taolu and a, a lot of uh, charlatans, I would say, or, uh, and I have no, let me, I always try to preface this with, um, and now I'm not prefacing, but I always try to leave the disclaimer that if you like that, style of training where you just want to do kata mm. go for it yep. i i fully support that it's only when people do that and they claim that they can fight or they claim that they're teaching other people how to fight where i have the breakdown and i'm mm. sure you would have the same problem yeah. with that so uh, i think brian's experience was was with dealing with a lot of people that claimed to to be teaching one thing and that's not what's happening. So it really encouraged him to, to bust through a lot of BS mm. in Chinese martial arts. Which, which, he, which he does superbly well in that book. It's one, it's a, it's a really good read, which strongly, yeah. strongly in, 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 um, encourage that. Yeah. I mean, with, 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 uh, with my own instructors, I, I've, they've always been very supportive. I've never had that one where it's just been, you know, train with me and no one else and do things as I do. It's always been well, yeah. I, I, like, like, a, like a good father is, right? They want to give you the skills to get out in the world and make it on your own. They don't want you living in the basement when you're in your 50s. You know, <laughs> so, so, you know so it's the same kind of thing. It's, you know, you need to be able to learn enough to survive on your own, you know. Right, right. So, so exactly. all of them are like that. But within the, the karate community, there, there are definitely some who see challenges to the convention um, yeah. um, to be unpopular. The, the, even, even, it's a strange thing how people will defend the tradition by denying the tradition as well. So um, I can point out, you know, people will go, um, this particular, the, the one I, I, that has almost became a, a meme, but they're pulling the hand to the hip, you know, that you often see in, in karate yeah. cutters where the hand will shoot back. Well, if you look at all of the old literature, it's clear that that is pulling limbs out of the way or grabbing yeah. clothing. So like grab and smash. So you know where right. they are. That, 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 that's right. its purpose. Um, but then in the 1960s, uh, there was a, a influential karate book written where the, the guy had said that it was to generate power because at this point, they're no longer training at close range. So the idea of cleaning paths, cleaning paths and gripping doesn't apply. They're now always right. at like you know, 10 feet apart or more. So mm -hmm. why are we pulling the hand to the hip? So they come up with the answer. Well, we're doing it because it encourages rotation and it's for power. 
So, so, um, um, so I no, it's not. It, it, it like, it, it, firstly, it doesn't work. It doesn't generate right. any extra power. It's wrong. No, physically, it's wrong biologically. I have a story I'll tell you about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. You'll laugh. At. And, and it's wrong historically. But even when you would point it to the uh, look, this is what the the founder of the system said about the purpose of that pan position. You'll still get people going, no, but my teacher said. You know what I mean? So, so therefore, you get that kind of pushback. So. It's, you can't it's, it's fight strange. that. You can't, no, you can't and, fight that. And you realize it's not about evidence either. It's 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 about um, uh, egos generally. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear your story about that because that's uh, yeah. I'll yeah. I'll, uh, I'll I'll humiliate myself for the benefit <laughs> of everybody. Um, so I, I started. You know that that hand to the hip thing is not unique to the Japanese styles. We did it. I uh, had a, a lot of training early on, um, which if I stopped to think about it, could have been taken back from karate because some of these forms that I learned when I started in Mantis boxing were actually newer and they were created to help teach kids and teach oh, yeah. beginners uh, what's fairly complex. Uh, Mantis has a lot of complex moves in it, and um, so it might have been taken back from from there. I don't know, but we had the hand to the hip mm. thing, and uh, we would strike from there, and we would do the blocks, boom, <laughs> block down and the punch, and uh, so I go to the beach. Uh, it's York Beach in uh, Maine, and they have an arcade. And I'm walking around the arcade and I have only been training for, I think a year, year and a half. And I'm up there, I'm by myself and I'm, I go in and they have this, this giant caricature of uh, a strong man and they have a, a punching pad on his belly and you can punch the pad and it will rate how strong you are with the light that goes up. And uh, it's got little names next to it, whether you're super strong or you're awesome, right? So I'm like, all right, I've been training. <laughs> I'm going to hit this thing and I'm going to smash it. So I put my dollar in and <laughs> I get in the best horse stance that I could possibly muster. And I get my hands down by my sides and I boom and I hit it as hard as I can. And it goes doo -doo 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 -doo. weakling. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like, what? So I put in another dollar. <laughs> like, clearly, there's something wrong. I must, <laughs> I must have been out of alignment or something. I hit it again, and it comes up worse. Because I, like useless worm or whatever it was that it called me, and uh, pathetic. I think <laughs> pathetic. So now I'm getting mad, and uh, like, what is this stuff I've been training for the last year, year and a half it, it, that uh, I can't even punch? This thing's not working. I put another dollar in and uh, now I hit it as hard as I can again. I try to shift to a bow stance <sighs> thinking that that rotation is going to give me more power. Nothing. Still <laughs> weakling, weakling. And I finally got so mad I stood up and I just boom! I just sucker punched it right in the gut and it went blasted <laughs> it right out the top. It's like, oh. So this stuff doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's um it's one of the things i find with power generation though because it's 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 one of the easiest things to test 
You yeah. just get someone to hold the pad, hit the pad, and they can tell you whether it was a strong or weak shot. Right. But you get all these very bizarre ideas about power generation, and it's just you know, just hit something, just hit something, and if it works, we'll all immediately know that it works. You know, I had a. I, it was funny. I had a student that was a black belt in Taekwondo, and uh, they in Taekwondo, that's at least where she trained. The, there was a lot of emphasis put on high round kicks that were snappy. And, you know, you can pose with your leg up in the air and you can just throw yeah. multiple kicks. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah. And uh, so when I teach a round kick, uh, I teach it more like uh, a dragon lashing its tail where you just you're generating a lot of force and you blast as hard as you can. But your leg comes out more in a uh, like a whip. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so she. I tried to help her with her kick one day, but uh, didn't want to. She didn't really want help. She wanted. She was um, kind of in in that funnel, that what she had been taught was, right. That was yeah, it. Yeah. Right? That was the best, and uh, it was it was kind of cool because shortly thereafter uh, was the fight with Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm, yeah. and uh, Holly Holm head kicks Ronda Rousey and knocks her out and uh so then she comes back after that fight she said now i understand what you were trying to say <laughs> and uh it was cool it was like okay that kick looked fancy it looks awesome that your balance is great um it's it's crisp the precision is amazing but can you knock somebody mm -hmm. out with it and the same with, you know, these punches that... I, I think it's definitely one of the problems that the traditional martial arts have, that the more modern ones, particularly the ones that um, engage in have a strong competitive outlet, don't have. Because, because, like, so if you go to boxing, everything's measured by effect. Judo, it's measured by effect. Same with BJJ. If it works, we're mm -hmm. keeping it. If it doesn't, right. we're not. It was, was within certain strains within the traditional world, I call it artificial success criteria. So it, 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 they just invent something that determines whether it's good or not. So it's good because Master X said, or this is the way right. we have it documented, or it looks good. You know, right. and I'm always I want I don't you know I, I, I like it when I do things and um, it looks sharp. I like the aesthetics of it, but to sure. me, the, the aesthetics comes from the fact that it's a coordinated functional movement. Yeah. So, so the, by seeking efficiency, it will develop a certain aesthetic, but mm -hmm. but just pursuing a, an arbitrary aesthetic doesn't guarantee efficiency. Uh, so, so you know, and, and again, that, that it, it definitely happens with kata as a classic example. It, people do the kata solely to get good at the kata, and like you said before, I have no problem at all with people doing that because they just like yeah. the art of it. They like the way it makes the body feel. It's some kind of personal expression. One hundred percent behind all that. I think. I think again, the problem I have is when it's uh, somehow by some unidentified process, doing this pretty movement will lead to combative function. Right. Uh, th th that's where it all breaks down a little bit for me. Yeah. It does. It, it does. And, and I don't think it's it. I don't think it should be something that you or I, it just breaks down for us. It breaks down, period. There's mm -hmm. a complete disconnect. Uh, and I saw it first. I witnessed it because I was in schools where I was in many schools. It wasn't just in one school. I didn't have one teacher. 
where there was a, okay, we spend most of the time doing uh, forms, doing talu, kata, uh, and then at the end of class, there's sparring, but there's absolutely no symmetry mm-hmm. between the two. There's no symbiosis. There's no connection. You're not applying anything that you did in any form. And yet people are led to believe that that they're f- learning to fight and they're learning to to use that art the way that it was meant to be used. And that's not it's not the case. No. That's fascinating to me because that's it's it's it, 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 with with um the the talk, sometimes we talk about three K karate. So you've got the they've got the kata, which the mm-hmm. kumite, which is effectively the sparring. And the yep. kion, which is the basics. So, so, um, so uh, it, it's not—it's a derogatory term used a lot these days, where people will go three K karate with with kata kumite and kion, and never the three shall meet. So they do basics oh. to get good. At, they do basics to get good at basics. Kata to get good at kata, and their kumite, their method of sparring, is divorced from either of those. It doesn't resemble either. It, typically, yeah. it's based on modern points fighting. Um, so, so you end up with this very dis- disconnected system. Whereas, whereas um, the way I would like to do it is it all integrates. So the yeah. the the, the uh, basics training will le- will use that in the way that we spar. The methods of the cutter will inform our two person drills. The skills we learn from the two personal drills we'll do in our live drills. It, it's all more holistic. So it's really interesting to me because th- those are common um, terms in my. Um, my circle, my, you know, p- people will talk about 3K right. karate. And it's interesting that from your Chinese background, you see exactly the same thing. Exactly. Forms are one thing, and then the sparring bears no resemblance to it at all. Yep. It was uh, very much, uh, okay, stand in a horse stance for our basics. Stand in your horse stance for five minutes at the beginning of class, or we're going to do uh, these basics may be different from school to school, but a uh, good example. And then we're going to stand in a, a bow stance. We're going to stand in a cat stance. Okay, so you do all your your stance training, and then it's work on forms, and then it's fighting. And as you said perfectly, never the three shall meet. <laughs> um, absolutely saw that. And I, I, I think and I have a bit more of a cynical outlook on things and on life just from my experiences, but I think a lot of that developed in some point in the last hundred years where teachers that didn't know how to fight and use the original art were, and were working in uh, teaching for commercial purposes for, mm. for a living really needed filler material. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with training basics. I, and I personally believe in, and I teach this to my students, that if something's going wrong as a black belt, level even when you're fighting it's never okay i did this advanced move wrong it's some basic something in the basics and our level of understanding the basics i'm sure you you can attest to this changes as we as we grow it's like what what that stance looked like when you began and what you understood about it is completely different Mm. than later on and that depth is awesome. I mean, that's what keeps me going in martial arts. If that depth, as you spoke to earlier when we in our conversation, if that depth wasn't there, if this was all figured out, hell, I would have just done like a two-year martial art where <laughs> you're just you're done. Okay, check that box. I can kick <laughs> ass now. Um, but there's there's not that clear distinction, and the so I don't want to be mistaken misinterpreted as saying the basics are a waste of time. Uh, that's not the case, but 
I guess uh, defining what basics are from teacher to teacher would be a distinction. However, the uh, there has to be some sort of integration of what that basic is doing to inform our fighting or to make our fighting better. And if there isn't, then it, it's just filler yeah. material. You're it, just it, wasting people's time. It's, it's a way you organize it as well. I mean, an analogy I've heard is it's the difference between a pile of bricks and a house. You know, you, the, the pile of bricks, everything's still there, but they're, they're not connected or arranged in the right way. Yeah, you that's know, good. So, so it, it's the way in which they integrate them together seems to be the, um, the, the, key, the key thing. Because yeah. I get that as well. You know, the, I think sometimes because I have been quite vocal in um, trying to make sure that everything's part of that holistic whole, like yourself, I will get critique uh, from mm -hmm. people saying, so you're saying that the solo cut is not important or are you saying that the basics aren't important? No, they're very important. But what mm -hmm. makes them important is the way that they, they germinate as part of a whole. I, I use the example uh, like uh, as a, if you wanted an oak tree, you, you know, you go get an acorn, but what you don't, what most traditional martial artists do is they collect acorns and they shine their acorns, but they never plant them and let them grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, it doesn't do, do what it's supposed to do. So the, the, the cutter, if you like, is, is a seed from mm. which your training is supposed to, to, to grow. So the, the, the master can't give you everything he's ever learned, but he can say, look, these are the fundamentals and this encapsulates the fundamentals. And if you study these things, it, you, you'll, you'll progress along your own path. And then people miss the point completely. A friend of mine uh, yeah. used to, yeah, used to um, um, a friend of mine used to call it polishing the egg. You know, if you want to cook, you break the egg. You you want to start, you get in, get inside it. So when we were ever at courses, if people were polishing the egg, as in just teaching something for its own sake, it would always you probably can't see in the dark, but it'd make that little hand gesture at me, which just yeah. you know, just one hand on the other like this, which which was just cold, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're just polishing the egg now. We're not learning anything, we're not breaking things down, we're not getting to the core of anything, but right. we're playing on the surface in a way that isn't gonna lead us anywhere, you know. It's fascinating to me, absolutely fascinating. Um, because so, I know these things go on in the Japanese and Okinawan art. Yeah, I, I, this this conversation is really interesting. Because I had it, no idea. Like I'm learning a lot about like like there's just how much so much is in common between the two uh, backgrounds of Chinese versus Japanese martial arts, and how much crossover in some of these, I would say, mistakes or uh, just malfunctions of of the way they've been passed down. Yeah, well, and for me, it's interesting to learn that, you know, it's like that, you know, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. So, so there's that thing of, it, 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 you could, like, for example, with the karate, I could point to, okay, so what happened was it was spread through the Okinawan, so the Japanese university system. You had a lot of people who were learning uh, karate while they were at university. They were learning yeah. it very quickly. They wanted them to go out and learn to be teachers. So there's that pressure that people are learning things on a very superficial level. And then going out to, to spread it. And then they think, well, you know, I, 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 to my knowledge, you know, it wasn't the same thing in China, but nevertheless, you know, very, yeah, you know, very similar things, if not exactly the same, similar cultural pressures that lead to similar outcomes. Well, uh, so it wasn't always like that. I, th I think that the karate history probably has that a little, a little further back than the uh, Chinese boxing history, but the, post uh post 1950s that's really what you saw is when it finally made it to the shores of america the people that were bringing it here were college students from taiwan from hong kong 
uh, from they were maybe going to school and uh, getting a higher education, but they were doing it on the side and they brought it to the U.S. and then they became a teacher of martial arts here, whether full-time or part-time. One of my good friends trained with a guy who's a dentist and he had a dental practice in in Boston area, but he was from um, Taiwan where he did martial arts in college, but now he comes to America and he's mysterious. <laughs> he is, uh, he has some martial arts experience. So he in, injects himself into the, onto the scene. Um, and he becomes a master <laughs> without any qualifications uh-huh. to back that up. Um, and never fights and never, I mean, I've, and I've told this story before to repeat it, but, um, He's my friend studied with him for four years, never learned a single technique or application and went to him and said one day, um, this is awesome. I love training with you, but when are you going to teach me to fight? And he said, every, uh, when you can start picking me up for work every day, taking my clothes to the dry cleaner for me, getting my groceries. And if you do that for eight years, then I'll teach you how to fight. Okay, so you just created an impossible task that nobody <laughs> in America who has to survive by working for a living can ever follow through with to challenge you on the fact that you may or may not know how to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Some of the things here in Europe, of course, for that, though, you know, you get um, uh, some uh, outright charlatans, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So you get people just, you know, with very little, but will, you know, try and make a living as a martial arts instructor despite not having a great deal of skill and experience. You right. also get some who have great skills and abilities in one area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, but which gets transposed. So they may have been a university champion, which is an uh, impressive feat, but that okay. doesn't mean they're necessarily the most knowledgeable person about the traditional applications of that system. Huh. You know what I mean? It, it means that they did well in a specific sporting outlet. You know what I mean? Okay. But then are, are deemed masters full stop. And and it's a well-known thing that, you know, people would get on the plane as a, you know, second down in Japan and land as a sixth down in Europe. You know what I mean? It was um, something magical happened on those flights, you know? Yes. Um, yes. So that, that happens too. So you get, the, you get the, the misunderstandings with the more modern history. And then, and then you get people who've learned it that way and then pass it on and believe it was, it was this, it was ever thus. You know, it's right. always been like this. Right. You know, the one I do, the one I always find fascinating as well, but is, is, is you will get so the, the first wave that came over here. So their um, uh, their English generally wasn't that great, at least initially. So that they were teaching broken English with a very thick Japanese accent, and I can still point to English karate instructors who, as soon as they step on the mat, will develop a Japanese accent, <laughs> and will will go from speaking fluent English to speaking it in a broken way because they just copy everything. You know, yeah. write down the nuances of the way that they talk. And that, that includes um, not questioning because the, yeah. the instructor, through no fault of his own, there's a language barrier. He can't give detailed answers. So, so when people True. would ask something, he'd just show it again and again and again. You know, just, well, you know, they wouldn't have the, the, the vocabulary to explain it. And so, again, people copy that. You get instructors who don't really teach. They just demo things and copy. So... <laughs> And you can educate me on this. Is I'm not familiar with the Japanese culture in this uh, regard, but in the Chinese culture, it was often impolite to to ask questions of the teacher. So that was culturally handed down. Like you never questioned the teacher. You never, 
you never did that. Was that the same in the Japanese to, history, or yeah, to a, to a degree, which you can understand from from that perspective. But when it arrives here, that's obviously you know, in, in like the first generation, you can understand how um, there may have been a bit of a cultural adjustment or a little bit of a culture clash. But when right. when you're on the next generation, when you've got an English guy teaching another English guy. To me, it, it no longer makes sense to maintain those cultural trappings. You, right. you, you might want to because you're interested in that culture, but it, but in terms of the ease of communicating that information, mm. as Westerners, we should talk as as Westerners. Which which again, so this is another. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm worried I might be taking up your whole day here, but I'll be interested. No, to see no, if, no, 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 no. This is. Are we good? No, yeah. Not at all. And I'd be interested to see if, if this. Um, uh, has a parallel too. So one of the, the videos uh, I, I did on YouTube was traditional things I no longer do and why. So mm. I, so in that, I went to th things that, that uh, and I wasn't talking about things that I found to be impractical or outdated or these right. better modern ways. I was talking about the cultural things that I yes. no longer do. So, um, uh, so for example, uh, we don't do the formal kneeling bows at the start and end of every class. And the reason I don't do them was, having spent a brief amount of time in Japan, it was clear to me that I don't get this. I'm doing my best to mimic it, but I don't really understand it culturally. So, right. uh, and it's supposed to be a show of respect. So, an easy way we can do that is we can uh, we can still do a quick bow, but we can touch gloves or pre-COVID yep. we could shake hands. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, you'd, yeah. you'd have ways in which you would. Um, uh, in a Western way, which would show that respect. Uh, I, 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 my, my, my students never did it, but, but I, they don't call me sensei. Cause, yeah, cause I don't for, like for me, it, 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 yeah. not that. And for those that do, if, if it works for them, that's fine. But in this part of Northern England, it, it just, it's culturally jarring. You know, yeah. the, the, the way I would be, I, it's a first among equals thing you see. So, but I got a lot of pushback from that. People that I was um, uh, almost like a form of martial blasphemy, you know. I, I, I was I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. But, but and my argument was well, but it's always done this. You know, you've got the right. Chinese systems come to Okinawa, they adapt, and the Okinawan systems go to Japan and they adapt, and the Japanese systems come here, and it's it's natural they would adapt as well. So as an American teaching Chinese systems, did, did, um, I'm guessing from some of the nods that you've dropped some of the cultural things, and yeah. is that well received or? Well, it's kind of funny because I had it backwards. My initial, my, my initial experiences had none of the cultural trappings. So uh, if anything, my first coach was really just trying to mimic some things he had done when he did um, praying mantis boxing, but he didn't really follow them and he didn't do them in any of his other classes. So um occasionally he would introduce stuff like that but it was um and then the next school i went to was uh previous to the generation that i was there was fractured uh had already fractured away from the traditional and gone to the more modern sport um mm -hmm. chinese wushu which was all created by the um olympic committee and well not olympic they wanted it to be olympic but the Wushu Committee in China, which was government-sanctioned, uh, government-run. Uh, these are the forums. This is how long it should take. This is the moves that are in there. Uh, these are the X number of um, 
tricks that you're allowed to do in there that you get extra points for, whatever. And he had already broken away from his teacher who hated him for wanting to even do that. So he didn't have any of the trappings of the traditional. And it wasn't until I got to, I, I had studied with a bunch of different coaches like sm on smaller scales, but the next long-term coach that I worked with uh, on a serious, really serious level that taught me the fighting component also was more hung up on the traditional component and mm -hmm. he wasn't Chinese, but he was brought up with all of that and he liked all that. So it was, Oh, you should have an altar in your school. Uh, you should have this, you should have the lioness. You should, uh, everybody should be in uniform. We should wear, which the Chinese didn't have uniforms. It wasn't like the Japanese arts where you had, um, you had the gi, um, mm -hmm. the kimono, you had, People just wore their clothing, so then we end up with frog button shirts, and it's like, well, that was one part of China or one period of time. It wasn't what everybody wore, and it wasn't a uniform because there wasn't necessarily, until the early 1900s, there really weren't formal martial arts schools unless you were in the military mm. because the people that really, and you probably read this in Brian Kennedy's book, it was gangsters, thugs, ruffians, um, criminals that were the ones doing the martial arts mm. and or soldiers. So uh, a lot of these trappings were kind of reverse layered mm. onto not only my experience, but I also believe in the Chinese martial arts itself. People yeah, yeah. added this stuff backwards and it, it wasn't handed down. And to to further answer your question about i was doing that for a little while i didn't really like it it's just not my thing um i'm not not a religious person i was raised religious i i got away from all of that i like religion i like learning about it um but i'm not a particularly religious person so handing down another culture's religion yeah and belief structure seemed really at odds with my own uh character and my own core beliefs and i ended up getting rid of all that because it also was bizarre to be teaching in america in the suburbs of boston uh where parents are coming in with with often like higher education degrees and you're teaching their kids or you're teaching them and you're trying to tell them, okay we got to bow to the altar uh and we have to pay respects to the ancestors and you're trying to convince people that they're supposed to care about something that they no. It's never been a part of their life. Yeah. Like, and why are we doing it? It's I, I think you said something very pointed about that is you you had an epiphany when you were standing there like I don't get it. Yeah. Um and I think that's true. I th I believe that we should respect our teachers and coaches. Regardless of the term sensei, uh, shurfu, sifu, um, the respect should be there whether you call them coach or you call them Mr. Abernathy or you call them uh, Mr. Ian or Ian. I don't know how you, you have your students call you, but I prefer they call me Randy. And, yeah, same to each uh, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With you kids, know. I get a little more hung up just because of my age, I think. And when we were growing up, it was Mr. and Mrs. whenever you talk to an adult. It was always Mr. and Mrs. You never called them by their first name. No, no. Yeah. Um, 
And if you said your aunt or uncle, you always, if you called them their first name, you always had to say aunt or uncle before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, similar here. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, um, that, that's, I, I, um, see, and I get that some people, part of their attraction to the martial arts is they want to immerse themselves in another culture. So I, I get that people want to enter the dojo doors and they're in Japan for the next 90 minutes. So for, for those that sure. want that, then great, find a place that does it. But but for, for us, it, it was a distraction to what exactly. we were trying to achieve, yeah. Exactly. So we, we teach it in a, um, a Western way. And a lot of these, you know, these traditional things, just like you were saying, they're like the, the geese and the belts. That, that they, 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 we stole them from judo. Right. Ju Ju yeah, right. judo was doing it. The karate guys went, that'll work. We'll, we'll, we'll steal those. Yep. So, so um, and, and nowadays, uh, I, I tend to teach with a gi on because, they, you know, it's kind of expected. Um, but I, I very rarely train with one on. My, right. my, my instructors very rarely train with one on as well. Certain things it's handy to have, certain, you know, certain grappling and throwing, it's nice to have the material to, to sure. do it on. But, but, but sure. um, if it's not needed, um, even all that goes. I've kept the terminology because I think that's, that's useful. Mm -hmm. um, particularly as someone who travels a lot to teach. See, I can be in the middle of Germany, not speaking a word of German, but we share the common karate terminology. So, yeah. so th that can be useful. So, um, yeah, but so, so, so stuff like that, if it's got a, a um, empirical use, I'll, I'll keep it. But a lot of those cultural trappings I drop. And I always like, for me, when I go at the dojo, sometimes I'm, is this a dojo or a restaurant? I'm not quite sure. You know, with, oh with all the, with the, like, the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the little gates as you walk in and the, the hanging lanterns and the, say, the right. shrines. And I'm not, yeah, okay, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to uh, bear my sins again, right? <laughs> so uh, I had renamed my school and, uh, I had I was trying to come up with a name and I was I was working with this newer coach and I wanted to uh kind of brand differently. And so I knew in Chinese culture the plum blossom is very significant. It's uh it's not it's not like America where any flower is considered feminine and you're you're uh excoriated if you're a male and you like flowers or you use a flower as a symbol right so uh it's very different in asian cultures the the, the plum blossom is a uh very powerful symbol of overcoming hardship mm. of perseverance and i thought that was really cool it's like the phoenix mm. and um so i wanted to use that in the name of my school So that brings us to the end of part two, but the great news is you've got part three left to enjoy, so please listen to that one soon.